are back after a couple of weeks off or a week and a half off, whatever it is, since we last gathered. I think I was on the Gold Coast. Matty, you were here with Lara talking footy off the back of the grand final. But here we are previewing a little bit of International Rugby League this morning on You Can Take Me Now. I have seen it all. Warren Smith with Maddie Russell. Lara Pitt is, I think she's in A-League mode at the moment. She's is that still, right? She's still working. Round the clock, Lara. Deserves a break. I think she snuck one in and she'll join us, no doubt, in coming weeks as this podcast continues to roll through summer. A great idea by you, it was. Well, I think there's enough footy on at the moment, certainly, to warrant uh, having a chat. We might do it again next week at some stage when we can uh, convene here in the uh, Max Krillich podcast headquarters. <laughs> well, we never came up with a name, did well, we? Max is a good one. Let's stick the with Max the Max Krillich. Krillich podcast headquarters. I like that. Well, Max certainly found himself in the news, didn't he, during the course of the season when he had a crack at Cameron Smith and the Melbourne Storm. And oh, he's having a few cracks, wasn't he? That the Ahead of that big game between the Seagulls and Melbourne. So. Was it he or did someone wind Max up and say, let go with that one and see if you can't get under well, their skin? Craig Bellamy accused him <laughs> of being the puppet. And, and Desi Hasler was the puppet master. Yes, yes. Who's the puppet master uh, tomorrow night? Because here we are. This is Thursday morning as we record the podcast live here. And um, uh, tomorrow night, the test matches, they're rolling around. Well, there's two test matches. We've got the, the Jillaroos and the Kiwi Ferns, followed by the Kangaroos. And the Kiwis. But before that, we've got the Australian junior kangaroos taking on the French team, the fully-fledged French team, uh, who may all get a French flogging because it all happens down there at Wynn Stadium tomorrow. Uh, The first of those matches is the Australian junior kangaroos. And it, you know, if you said, well, we've got a few injuries in the fully-fledged Australian team and this is our test team, they'd go pretty well, wouldn't they? Was I was chuckling at a function in the gong last night to celebrate this uh, this fantastic rugby league feast that Wollongong will get on Friday night, and we were laughing at what the French might encounter because temperatures at just after three o'clock, under twenty three's kickoff, will be about thirty three degrees, <laughs> nice. and then you got the likes of this Australian team that when I first looked at it, I had to double check and make sure I wasn't actually looking at the fully fledged Kangaroos lineup. Such is the strike power and the ability of this Australian under-23 team, to make matters worse, the French captain, I believe, has packed up shop, left camp, said, you're too unprofessional, my French colleagues. I can't be part of this. So that doesn't all go well for the French who are going to encounter a kick-ass Australian team in blistering hot conditions without their captain and best player because they're too unprofessional. It could be 100 nil. Now, seeing as you mentioned that, I mean, right off the top, Jason Batiri, son of Taz Batiri, if you're of our vintage, yes. uh, you will know who Taz Batiri is, played a couple of seasons uh, in the, what was the then Sydney competition with uh, the Canterbury Bulldogs. Uh, he's been the French coach. He's been pretty much everything. I mean, one of those rugby league lifers who's bounced around and, and done great things, I guess, for French rugby but rugby league, but they seem mm. to be at a fairly low ebb at the moment because off the back of you mentioning that, Jason Batiri's quote, so it's worth taking a look at. <laughs> he said, after a long and delicate reflection and with a lot of emotions, I decided not to participate in the last two matches with the France team. I cannot continue to play and sacrifice my body for a president and a federation with whom I do not share the same dimension of values, respect, equality and above all honesty. As a captain, it is harder and harder for me to hide my enormous suffering and disgust. (laughs) 
That's a fair sledge, isn't it? All that was missing there, and I know that he doesn't speak with one, it was a French accent uh, was. That would have yes. added a little element to it. But, you know, take that on board. <laughs> take that on board. It's a fair sledge. And consider that the French are going to run into this team. Pappenhausen, Campbell Graham, Kelly, Lomax, Ruben Garrick, Kalen Ponga, Brodie Croft. There's your back line. Horsburgh. Marnie, Flegler, Fafita, Crichton, Radley, off the bench, Brimson, Butcher, Gula, Farmer, no, Fasu Mal- Malaawi. There you go. It's so you a get lineup. out of practice and you forget oh, to say no. Tino Fasu Malaawi. Fasu Malaawi. Uh, so there you go. It's a, it's a great Australian under 23 team, and wow, there should be some points scored. What, what are you? What's the over under? It has what? to be 80, doesn't it? 80. <laughs> Does it have to be 80? 80, that's like, <laughs> 80 is, uh, you know, 15 tries. Look, no, it and won't you, be and you And you convert 10 or 15. But it, but it has to be 50, doesn't it? It has well, to be. Oh, it's got to be 50, yeah. I would have thought. Between 50 and 80. I would have thought. So, so yeah. that will be maybe, let's sa- say sadly, a, perhaps a comical start to the afternoon. I, I hope I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Yep. But then the next two tests should be absolute belters because um, – the Kiwi Ferns won the nines and only just went down to the Jillaroos when they last clashed. And we know that the Kiwis, with Benji leading them, beat the Aussies last time they did battle. Mal's only loss as Kangaroos coach. So, you know, we might get a little bit of a, a fast in the first game, but the next two tests should be absolute top shelf. Oh, they should be sensational. I mean, I think the, the Jillaroos and the Kiwi Ferns is as now elevated itself to one of those must-see events. If, if you're a rugby league fan... It will be a terrific game of footy. And as I said, um, you know, last week, I think the skill level off the back of what we saw in the NRLW Grand Final and then again the nines last week, the skill level, the improvement in the women's game in the last five years since um, they've played that first tri-series of nines games over there in Auckland the first year in 2014 of the Auckland nines. If you watched some games from back then and watched the games now, I, th- I think that it's amazing, the skill level and the improvement, the athleticism. Um, you know, Ali Brigginshaw, I'm, I'm a, just a massive fan. I'm in love with Ali Brigginshaw, the way she gets around the footy park. She is – and you can sledge me if you want as far as making a comparison to a man, but that's what we have as far as a back catalogue of comparisons mm. to make. Um, she is the Wally Lewis. Honestly, she is the Wally Lewis of the women's game. She just has so much time. And she just sees things. She just makes space for herself, for others around her. She's a conductor out there. And I think, you know, she should be the difference between these two teams. But as we saw in the final of the nines, now I know it's a vastly different form of the game, but... You know, Ali Brigginshaw should be the difference between these two teams. And it's backed up by the fact when I've called the NRLW with a host of um, NRLW competitors beside me in the commentary box, guest appearing on Fox League, you often ask them, OK, Brisbane needs something here. Who do they go to? Or what should the Broncos be doing now? What are we looking for from the Broncos today? They always go to Ali Brigginshaw. And you can see that they're trying to wrestle with another option to mix it up. No, it's Ali Brigginshaw. So it underlines what you say was. And just as another interesting sidelight here, you can sprinkle a little bit of feeling over this women's test because off the back of the nines, uh, there is certainly some fallout the Australians and now, as a result, the Kiwi Ferns aren't particularly happy with a, a few words that were spoken, some uh, non-handshakes at the end. And simmering this week, they were both staying 
all meant to stay at the same Wollongong hotel, but such were the situation, or such was the situation, that the Kiwi Ferns have now moved hotels. Really? Into a different hotel. They didn't want to be under the same roof as the Jillaroo, so, you know, it's not all it's not all sickly sweet between the women at the moment. There might be a little bit of feeling early in this one uh, between New Zealand and Australia. Well, that would be sensational because... They are really good athletes and, as I say, the skill level has improved dramatically and if there's a bit of extra spice added in, it'll be a fascinating uh, contest between these two, uh, the two most powerful women's nations in rugby league. If you can watch it early or get to the ground early, there's a couple of intriguing matchups. Uh, two of the best prop forwards during the NRLW2 were Millie Boyle in her rookie season and Amber Hall, both playing starting props for the Broncos. Well, now Millie's making her Australian debut. Amber's playing for New Zealand, so they'll be butting heads. Uh, the two best props in the NRLW line up on either side of the field on Friday afternoon. And then Jess Sergis, who's the M Women's Player of the Year, plays against Honey Hiramet, who missed the NRLW because of her mother's passing, sadly. But Honey lit up the nines. Jess lit up the NRLW, they're opposing centres. So there's two reasons to walk through the gates and watch what will be a great game early on. And you will see it live right here on Fox League. I'm actually calling that uh, that match between the Jillaroos Lucky and the was. Kiwi Ferns. I think 5.40 is kickoff, and then the uh, the boys kick off at 8.10pm between the Kangaroos and the Kiwis. So um, that is live. And then on Saturday night as well, we'll get to the the, uh, the men in a moment, but just to mention while we're talking about uh, kickoff times and, and mm. what's being brought broadcast on Fox League this weekend. Uh, Tonga uh, playing Great Britain um, at Saturday night. As I scramble for the uh, kickoff time here, stand by. It is, I think, uh, 5.40. I'll check that. But um, we have a terrific two days of rugby league. Have you got it there? Waikato Stadium. 26th of October, 8pm. 8pm. Oh, uh, I Tonga Invitational against Great Britain. Right. So five. whether that's 6 o'clock in New Zealand, 8 o'clock over here, or, or 5 and 8, I've got to keep uh, track of daylight savings time. I'm all, we're all over the shop, boys. Podcast way 101, check your times. We're two hours that's behind them. Yeah. So 6 o'clock here, 8 o'clock over there. Okay. I think it okay. might be 5.40 on it. Anyway, um, either way... Um, yeah, fascinating weekend. Terrific uh, weekend of footy coming up because it will be a beauty. <laughs> Matt Russell's travel guide. Six o'clock. Six o'clock, the Tonga Invitational against Great Britain. Okay. And there'll be uh, great interest in what happens with Great Britain. The first time they've toured for 13 years, I think, to this part of the world. And um, a team featuring, of course, Lachlan and Coote and Blake Austin. Jackson Hastings is named as the starting halfback as well, alongside Gareth Winnipe in the halves for the, the Great Britain Lions. So that's a fascinating game. Was I interviewed Blake Austin at the Nines last week, one of Doonside's best. Uh, I think he's Doonside Kangaroo Junior. Of course, he played around the NRL. When I interviewed him last week, I'm sure he'd picked up an English twang <laughs> in the space of uh, 12 months. Uh, he was very much uh, auditioning for that Great Britain team in his interviews even. I thought the same thing, actually. <laughs> I thought when he's talking to you, I thought he's got a little scouser yes. thing going. So I actually second-guessed myself. What? He's picked it up. <laughs> I said, you know, great to be back in Western Sydney, Blake, and then like I was speaking to someone from slap bang in the middle of London. Bagum. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, we'll see how Blake uh, Lachlan and, uh, and the boys go. Jackson Hastings, what a story that is. Mm. 
Incredible. Yeah, I and I, I think it's a good story. You know, left Australia amid unwanted headlines, somewhat with tail between legs, copped a rough treatment from some in the eyes of many, but here he is making a, a go of it in England and surely now appearing on radars of NRL clubs to, to parachute back to Australia at the right time. All right, now what about this match between the Kangaroos and the Kiwis? 8.10pm is kick-off at uh, Wynn Stadium. Uh, and remembering, uh, the Kiwis beat the Kangaroos in the same showdown last year, two-point yep. win it was, 26-24. Um, can they do it again, albeit, of course, missing Jesse Bromwich and Nelson Asifa Solomona? But you go through the two teams, and the Kiwi team is a... Not as many stars, obviously, as the um, as the Australian team, but the matchups: James Tedesco and Roger Tuivasa-Shek at fullback. Um, the wingers will be terrific battles between Asaka, who was very good last week in the nines, up against Nick Kotrick, getting a chance, of course, at the international level. Josh Adokar, the Fox, was on fire at Bankwest Stadium in the nines. Uh, Ken Mamalo, uh, you're on the other wing, of course, for the New Zealanders. Uh, Munster and Cherry Evans versus Johnson and Marshall. That is an intriguing That's matchup, isn't it? Fantastic, isn't it? And, you know... Five debutants for Australia, possibly six if um, Cam Murray comes in because there are some injury concerns. Josh Papali with yep. a rib problem. We know that Wade Graham nursed that lower back issue through the nines and Daly Cherry Evans has had an ankle. But the biggest concern is over Josh Papali. Let's hope he is right to play because we get to see Papali against Waria Hargreaves again, two of the form props through the NRL season. That will be absorbing. I love the, the Marshall... Um, Johnson halves combination, and I found it really interesting that two of the Canberra stars are playing on either sides of the field, but in different positions. Jack Whiten, Raiders five eight, an Australian centre. Charles Nickel Clockstad, a Canberra fullback, a New Zealand centre. So there's much to um, to look forward to when you look at the lineups. And I spoke to Mal Meninga in a panel of the Kangaroos yesterday and asked about their week in Kiama, and they're having a good time. They went fishing uh, yesterday. And the only person not to handle the boat because he got car sick or seasick was none other than the fox, Josh Adokar. He prefers land. Really? Not, the fox don't go on water real well, Was Oh, the old fox. <laughs> he, he has just been laughing like a lunatic uh, for, well, for you know, three, four years now. But this is great to see him. Here we are in October still talking about the fox and uh, what a character he is. And you know and, what? That, that's him even in camp. Yeah, oh, yeah. Quiz, quizzing the panel last night, he doesn't put it on for the cameras. No, no show. Just around the game. He is like that from... Sun up to sundown, be it on being sick on a fishing boat or in the team hotel, he's a lunatic, they say. So that matchup between Jack White and Charles Nickel Klockstad, who played left edge mm. for the Kiwis in the nines last weekend, they'll go head to head because Latrell Mitchell will play left hand side for Australia. Jack White will play at right centre. So White versus Nickel Klockstad, and the other matchup is Latrell Mitchell against his centre teammate, Joseph Manu. <laughs> what about what a battle it? that will yeah. be. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It really is. Um, great players with a bit of a backstory, and you couldn't. Again, you can't sort of come up with that stuff, can you? You know, club mates head to head, out of position. In the case of the two Raiders, it, 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 I'm looking forward to the two hookers, Damien Cook, Brandon Smith. I know um, Damien would love to play in the nines, but he rested last weekend. And um, I asked Damien last night. Who's going to have the most runs out of dummy half, yourself or, or Brandon Smith? He said, given we're so close to the beach and given his history and beach spreading, he hopes it's Damien Cook. But he did say that he believes his pack can provide the platform whereby Australia has the most runs out of dummy half over New Zealand. But you go through it, it's a good test match. It's a great test match on paper.
Yeah, forward packs are, are pretty even, aren't they? Lisa Narmau, Jared Warrior Hargreaves, Brandon Smith, the hooker. Uh, Britton Nakora, outstanding season yeah. as a Shark, and here he is playing for the Kiwis. Kenny Bromwich, Adam Blair. He's been a bit of a lightning rod, hasn't he, as far as Warriors fans are concerned for his uh, form or lack thereof for the Warriors in 2019. The Aussies, if Papali's fit... A massive inclusion. David Clemmer hasn't played any football for a little while now, so he might be a little rusty, of course, as far as fitness. Match fitness is concerned. Uh, Boyd Cordner, Tyson Frizzell, Jake Travojevic. And and if Papali doesn't pass that fitness test on his rib or the rib cartilage, you'd expect Murray would come in. Probably Paul Vaughan goes into the starting side and, and, and Murray just joins that uh, four-man bench. And was, um, I don't mean to get too Illawarra-centric, but you'll forgive me because the test is in Wollongong. And last night, the region Illawarra celebrated the fact that uh, since Charlie Hazelton in 1938, they've produced 47 kangaroos. Who That's players who started in the Illawarra and have gone on to represent Australia, including four captains. But number 46 and 47 are playing in this test on Friday. Damien Cook and Tyson Vazell. Cookie, 47. Frizz, 46. And speaking with Tyson, he admitted that I've played for Australia before. I've played big games before. But playing a test on what I consider my home ground, Mm -hmm. uh, there might be some tears. And uh, sadly, the whole family won't be there because his mum has had to go to Japan because his brother is set to play for New Zealand, the All Blacks, against England in a World Cup rugby uh, final and Tyson laughed and said, "Well, I know who's the favourite." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, can you imagine? I mean, what, that's what a talented family that is. So, Dad is of Welsh heritage, Mum's of Tongan heritage. Uh, Tyson has played for Wales, now playing for Australia, and brother Shannon plays for the All Blacks. <laughs> Try following that. I said, "The only let's just keep it simple." Only beaten by that another famous <laughs> South Coast family, who the Sims family, <laughs> the Sims family, where a, Jaren Gong, the, the New South Welsh Sims <laughs> and the Queensland Sims uh, both play for Fiji. Uh, yeah, well, I said to Mal Meninga last night, you know, you spend a week in Kaimi, you might like to live there and he sort of said it wasn't close enough to Queensland. I said, I right. reckon we can right. flex the border a bit. Everywhere's in Queensland. <laughs> Queensland is just a state of mind, as De- the yeah, great absolutely. Dennis Carnahan says <laughs> in his Rugby League the musical show, Queensland is very much just a state of mind. Yeah. So If, if so, you think you're in Queensland... <laughs> You're in Queensland. He said it was too pricey in Kiama for Mal, so he'll <laughs> stick, right? with, stick with, I think it's Canberra and Brisbane where he's got homes. But, uh, yeah, well done, Damien Cook and, and Tyson Frazil. There's your local element. What will be a special uh, night for the Illawarra having that level of, of test match and that program with three games on the one afternoon at Wynn Stadium? Yeah, great promotion. And, of course, the week after, the three games again, three test matches um, involving Great Britain, New Zealand, Australia, the Tonga Invitational as well, as I sca- uh, scramble for my... Uh, Notes here again. Here we are. So next Saturday, and we'll probably convene before mm. between yep. now and then uh, to see what happens in the test matches over the course of the weekend and then to build up to next week's games because that triple header at Eden Park, and, you know, in hindsight, I really wish I was going over there to just be part of the action, to either call one of these matches or just to be there to witness this uh, triple header because uh, Samoa play Fiji, and I thought Samoa, I know, again, it was only nines, but they've been in the rugby league wilderness mm. as far as an international team have been concerned for a, a bunch of years. They had that breakthrough win against uh, the PNG boys, the Kummels at Leichhardt back in June. And then uh, that's part of the Oceanic Cup. So the next stage of the Oceanic Cup, they play Fiji, Fiji Bartis, um, in game one of that triple header at Eden Park Saturday week on the 2nd of November. Then it's the Lions, Great Britain take on New Zealand. And then following that, Australia play the Tonga Invitational. 
So what a, what a great afternoon and early evening of rugby league uh, fair that will be over there at Eden Park, which it is, is a, a fantastic venue. You're right, because like Samoa, I loved watching Jerome Luai, Moses Liotta and all the Penrith Panthers performing for Samoa at the Nines, Great Britain. Good to see us going down that road again against the Kiwis and then Australia against Tonga. You're right, back-to-back weekends and, and fantastic. It, it's uh, great to have uh, post-grand final. We were a bit flat on the Monday after the grand final because <laughs> we the, the season had come to an end, but it hasn't really. And it's it's good to see this international season stretching our rugby league enjoyment. And, of course, uh, the week after Saturday the 9th of November, the Fiji Bardi take on uh, the Papua New Guineans and then the Lions play New Zealand as well. So, And then after that, on the way home, um, so the Great Britain Lions tour goes all the way through to the 16th of November when they take on uh, the Kamals up there in Port Moresby at the National Footy Stadium. Can you imagine <laughs> the atmosphere at that venue? Uh, it will be off the charts. I mean, they, they're, it's off the charts at any point in time when the PNG boys are playing, but uh, Papua New Guinea versus the Great Britain Lions, that'll be something up there. I was thinking of Papua New Guinea as I watched them play last week, the Kummels, and, and come close to you know causing upsets. I thought if they get over the line here, uh, wow, good luck to everyone in Port Moresby. Uh, what do you think as far as some results? We, we both agree that the uh, the junior kangaroos should lap uh, the French team. Uh, I'm going to say the Gillaroos uh, will return the favour and get the better of the Kiwi Ferns in the women's test match. Uh, and if Jesse Bromwich and Nelson Asafasolomona were playing, I think I'd be tipping New Zealand. But, but you're I'll, not. I'll, t- I'll, tip, I'll tip Australia in a close one once again to beat. I don't think there'll be much in that. And uh, Benji Marshall gets to captain the Kiwis for the 20th time in his career, um, breaking a record. He currently, I think it's... Uh, Going past Wiz Freeman. The great Gary Freeman, that's right. Um, so uh, lots of reasons for the boys to, you know, to test match. They'll be, mm. they'll be ready to go, New Zealand. Don't worry about that. I'll say I, I think Australia narrowly. An Australian treble, but it wouldn't surprise me if those second two games are decided by a conversion or a penalty goal. Two points of difference. Uh, it'll be good footy. All right. Uh, what did you make of the nines? I know it was a uh, you know a week and a bit ago now, but um, oh, I know where are we? Sorry, not it wasn't a week and a bit ago. It was only four or five days ago. Um, what did you make of it all? I liked it. I liked the fact that it was a more legitimate form of the game than say rugby sevens. I liked the nines there. I thought the uh, amount of tries that we saw scored was fantastic. Every time I looked up, I seemed to see. I was sideline. I seemed to see an athlete racing away. I thought. Mitchell Moses, his performance in the final was just fantastic. Doesn't he have a run of success at Bankwest Stadium? Um, I liked it. I, uh, too much of it. I, you know, I wouldn't be going longer or playing much more of it than we had over the two days. I might even have a more equal distribution of games. I know it makes it difficult when you go Friday, Saturday. But if you went Saturday, Sunday and shorten that second day, I think it'd be even more uh, workable. I liked it. What about you? Uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty good, and I, I like the fact that it was international nines. Yes. Uh, because the problem with the club nines, and it's mostly, I think, to my might way of thinking, the reason the Auckland nines um, stopped happening, uh, they played four years, they were supposed to go, they had a five-year contract, the promoters over there, uh, and there was an agreement between them and the um, NRL or the ARLC that they would call it quits after four, but it's back as we have now had it confirmed again in the last uh, 24 hours mm. or so that they'll be playing in Perth next year at a club level, I think the second or third weekend of um, February. The problem with you know club nines was that the clubs weren't taking it 
well, very few of them were taking it seriously. I mean, the, the Bulldogs under the coaching at that stage of Des Hasler in 2017 and seasons beyond that in Des's last season at the Bulldogs, they sent, I don't know, they, what did they send? Of a 16-player squad, eight or nine front rowers. Mm. I mean, it was just a bit of fitness for some of the bigger men. You, you know, get some contact under their belts and a bit of fitness over there and some warmish conditions in Auckland. But does the million bucks change that was? The million buck prize. If you well, if you win the nines and win the premiership, I'm a bit dubious, and I'll tell you why. Because let's face it, at the start of a season, are there any more than really six genuine premiership contenders? So that means there are twelve teams who know deep down that uh, we're probably not a chance to do both. So that million bucks is out of the equation. So all of a sudden, that million dollar incentive to send your best players probably isn't there for twelve, ten to twelve clubs. Uh, maybe I'm reading this incorrectly. And then the second thing I thought was. How much does a million bucks mean to a club these days? And I'm happy to be shot down and be told that's a hell of a lucrative prize and a big carrot. But they're the two questions I had when I heard the million dollar prize. Sounds good and it might make everyone think it's more legitimate, but does it really mean mean that clubs are going to be sending their best teams to the nines? Honestly, I wouldn't think so. Uh, it's not, you know, I don't know what what monetary value would make it you know, to the point where you would send... Do you go like three million for the winner of the club of nines? The nines? Something like that. To me, that, that might be outrageous, but to me, you've only got to win the nines and then there's a really significant uh, prize for you. Well, I think now That you're, would guarantee. Now you're talking. I mean, now you're in the ballpark of a real cash... I mean, especially for those teams who need the cash. Exactly. And you could go through a whole bunch of them. Um, so is there not a sponsor like... Qantas or some big international company that might say, if we can make this legitimate, we can really get our value out of it and therefore make it the three or five million dollar NRL nines. Winner takes four, runner up gets a mil, uh, send your best players, otherwise you're missing out on the cash. It's only ashtray money for Alan Joyce, the CEO of, and, of Qantas. And go further, you could say, and if you win the nines, you can use 250000 free in your salary cap. They're, I'm just brainstorming here, but you wouldn't have to sit down and have too long a meeting to say, if we want this to be legitimate, then let's go all in and, and come up with some ideas to make sure that Melbourne, Parramatta, North Queensland, everyone are sending their best 13 players to play in this nines competition. Or, or 15, whatever it is, 17, I don't know. But but you could easily legitimise it. Does a million bucks do it under the current setup? Not so sure. Well, not if you were to do the double. Uh, that's right. That's unlikely in itself anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe it, maybe if the cash got to a point where it was like, you know, we, we really could use that. We're going to send a legitimate team. But, you know, you've got players coming off off-season surgeries. You've got stars who you want to put in cotton wool. I guarantee you, I don't think much will have changed by the time we get to Perth in February next year. I don't think much as, as far as the attitude of the clubs is concerned. Mm. I don't think much will have changed there. I think they'll still send, you know, teams. If, there'll be some teams. We'll see some stars. But we won't see every team have every star available. There's no no question about that. I know that by which the is, time... Which is, a, which is a great shame. And again, to my, that was the sole reason for mine that, you know... The intensity and the interest in the Auckland Nines dropped off as far as the spectator level. Crowds had shrunk from the first couple of years. And that was um, intriguing for mine to see the nature of the crowd last weekend at the World Cup Nines at Bankwest Stadium, an event here in Sydney. that We saw some dress-ups where there was a bunch of guys dressed up as Super Mario and whatever else. But in you Auckland, did well to pick them, was I? I had no <laughs> idea who they were. I said, how was know who Super Mario uh, is? You know, I guess, you know, we've, <laughs> we've, we've gone past the Super Mario stage in the Smith household, but some things stick with you forever, don't they? Um, I... If, 
the, it just didn't have that. The, the Kiwis love a dress up and love a party. Mm. And Sydney's always a bit of a tough draw. I was actually pleasantly surprised there was 15,000 there on the Saturday for the uh, for the second day of the, the World Cup. The night. atmosphere was, was satisfactory. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't, it wasn't it was a bad crowd and, and certainly better than it could have, you know, potentially could have been a, a disaster if there was just a lack of interest off the back of the grand final. But there was plenty of interest, well, enough interest to um, get enough people along there and the atmosphere in that stadium. It bounces around. Mm. Um, I've got no doubt if you took the World Cup nines back to Auckland, teams as legit as they were amongst the, you know, the Australians, the Kiwis, Samoa, especially Tonga. We saw Samoa and Tonga play. That would that would bring in seven thousand people in itself. Just that one match, eighteen nine yeah. minutes each way, yeah. eighteen minutes total. That would guarantee at least seven thousand people come through the gates. So I, I you know, I don't, don't know where. World Cup Nines is headed. It's supposed to be a quadrennial event. Every four years they'll be playing it, um, whether so, it can be maybe a biannual event and be played every couple of years in different parts of the world. But um, what Sydney, about if you Sydney, win? Sydney's a tough draw. NRL Nines three years in a row. Then the fourth year you didn't have the NRL Nines, but you had the Rugby League World Cup Nines at the end of the season. And that way at the start of the season you could, without having the club Nines, you could have a, some other promotion, some other event. Um, so you basically have three in a row World Club and then every four years your World Cup nines. Yeah. Over to you, Todd. I, yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be fascinating to see if the club nines makes it to year three. They've got to be legitimate. They've got to be – if they're legitimate, then they help drag the crowd. I think there's a great appetite for rugby league in February. Like we've gone all summer without much footy, if any, and, and I know – as a consumer myself, I get really excited about the World Nines in the past because here's my first chance to look at all these teams and sun's out, footy's back, blah, blah, blah. But we just need it to be a bit more real deal in terms of talent and desire to win, not yeah. resting players because they get a bruise. Perth will be good because the stadium over there, they're going to play it out of. We've both been over there in the past. Um, it's a 20,000, 22,000-seater, I guess. Mm. It'll be pretty full. They'll, yeah, they'll, they'll sell, there'll be plenty of people going over. They'll say, let's have a little, um, you know, February holiday. With plenty of uh, fans from East Coast teams will make their way across. There's lots of um, expat Kiwis who live in Perth. Um, the, the mining uh, boom over there has meant that there's been people from East Coast states and from New Zealand and uh, Pacific Islands as well find their way to Perth. I know some of them uh, who are friends of friends and um, they hit me up for tickets every year. Henry, um, I'll see you in Perth next February. We'll make it his shout because I think it cost about 13 bucks a beer over there last time I was. Yeah, the mining well, boom has a lot to answer for when you go up to the bar. Yeah, trust me. That, that is a shock when you <laughs> if you haven't been to Perth for a couple of years and you log for the first time and you see the price of things, you go, wow, I thought it was expensive in Sydney or yeah. in New York or in Europe or whatever else. Perth, wow, it is expensive place, uh, real estate and, and just yeah, buying beers and food as well. What they don't need was is injuries. They need a bit of luck for a few years. Well, that was the thing off the back of last weekend. There weren't too many major injuries. Um, I think certainly down on past, uh, anecdotally, down on past Auckland Nines. And the thing that stood out for me over the course of Friday night and then all those games on Saturday as well was the lack of head knocks in the game. There was a few HIAs. Um, that's always going to be the case when you've got people running in opposite directions and they weigh 105 kilograms. But, uh, uh, you know, again, anecdotally, I'd have thought the rate of head knocks per minute played compared to the NRL season would have been down dramatically. And it got me thinking uh, in the days after the Nines last weekend, 
is that while, you know, th- from 13 to 9 is a massive step and that's not going to happen anytime soon as far as the NRL is concerned, but it, did the 9s in some way give us a little look at the future of rugby league and maybe contact sport, but certainly, but certainly rugby league <laughs> is a reduction in the numbers of players on the field. We've spoken about concussions quite a bit on the podcast during the year. A reduction in, in players on the field, and again, it's just anecdotally, obviously the fewer players on the field, maybe there is just a pure less chance of suffering a head knock and the nature of the game, plenty of open space, not as many one-on-one collisions, not as many big collisions coming out of you know trouble as far as bringing it out from your own 20. You're not getting gang-tackled by three and four players as regularly, so maybe there's that lack of head knocks in that situation. It just made me think that, you know, while at the moment the Nines is still a bit of a novelty and it fell off the radar for a couple of years, it's back now. We'll see it again in February. Uh, Maybe we'll know more off the back of what happens in Perth in February, but maybe there's a little clue there as to what the future of rugby league actually looks like. When you mentioned that this morning about the lack of HIAs, I hadn't thought about it, but you were spot on. I was sidelined all day Saturday and I was interested to see how Nines work. Unlimited interchange, basically you Josh Adokar would basically go on, score a try and come off. That was the way it was working. And I didn't see many HIAs. You're spot on. The most significant injury to come out of it was a a syndesmosis, an ankle injury to Nathan Brown. And when you play that much footy, to have just that one injury, that's good. So it gets me thinking, you're right, does the NRL look at nines as being a little insurance policy in the corner for what may or may not happen down the track? And if you're not going to go from 13 to 9, obviously you're not. Changes the game. But I wonder whether 13 to 11, as has been spoken about before, is some sort of, um, uh, you know, way to go. And then what happens if you reduce interchanges as well so that you only get six technically players are playing under more fatigue like they are in nines on a hot Saturday afternoon in Sydney. There are all any number of um, thought bubbles to come out of what you saw, less HIAs, less injuries. Now, maybe it was just a quirk. Maybe we got lucky that weekend. But yeah, maybe there's right. something more significant. Maybe that is a way that contact sport can future-proof itself with a bit of tinkering to the current setup. Because it's a balance. Obviously, the spectacle of rugby league as an entertainment product is a balance between the speed and the athleticism and the pure strength and power and the contact and the collisions. And we know the collisions are a big reason why people want to go to the football, mm. why they want to watch rugby league on Fox League. Um, so it's a juggling act. And if you skew it one way, maybe that interest drops off. If you, if you say, just wave a wand and say, tomorrow rugby league is now an 11-man game, not a 13-man game. Would it skew it too far that there'd be just way too many tries scored, the attack would dominate defence and, and the game would be out of balance and interest would drop off. It's not going to happen anyway. But just mm. you know, tossing it out there, maybe there was a bit of a clue as to if there is an issue and it's going to stay an issue, there's no doubt about it, concussions and the effect of concussions, repeated concussions um, with players beyond their playing days, it's going to be explored, it's going to be an issue that isn't going away anytime soon. And the longer that stays an issue, maybe um, if we are looking at ways of tweaking the game and still having rugby league played but trying to minimise the impact of concussions and collisions in the game, then in 10, 15, it's probably you know, 15 to 20 years away, um, these things go pretty slowly for a good reason. 
maybe a reduction in players is a serious way of, of changing things. You could go to 12, not have scrums, drop off, say, your, what you'd call a lock, and just have two middle forwards with a hooker, two edge forwards. Then you go your two centres, wingers, and a fullback. Uh, there's, there's 13 down to 12. And that would be step one, because you're not going to make a, a, a massive leap from 13 to 11. If you're mm. going to take it, you would just do it bit by bit as the interchange has been reduced bit yep. by bit. And, yeah, maybe, I because don't know, you're maybe, right. maybe in 15 years' time it is 12 on 12. You don't want a game where you just get athlete running away for 60 metres to score. Next play, athlete, 60 metres to score. It gets very boring very quickly. You need that, that combination of brutality, of, of big contact and, and speed and flair. You, you don't want to make it too far towards what we would call rugby sevens. Yeah. Because we see teams play with 12 players and more and more so with the sin bins at the yeah. moment. And the game doesn't change that dramatically. We've seen a couple of 12 on 12s at different times. We saw it in the, mm. uh, the prelim final between the Roosters and the Storm off the opening play of the game. It was 12 on 12 for the next 10 minutes. The game didn't massively change did it for those 10 minutes of that prelim final at the SCG. So it doesn't – it's not a not a crazy change to think it could be 12 on 12 and, and I, no doubt you would see more tries scored through, um, you know, just more space on the field obviously but also um, players under fatigue and who knows. Uh, it, 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 it's it, – I wouldn't rule it out completely at some stage in, like I say – 10 to 15 years' time. Something for people to ponder as they do their summer laps of the pool or beach. What else did you um, think about um, the Nines as far as maybe showcasing some players? George Williams, the great Britain halfback, Mm. uh, who we'll see in action. Well, he's been... No, well, Jackson Hastings is partnering uh, Gareth Widdop in the test on Saturday against the Tonga Invitational. So... Um, that's intriguing in itself. George Williams, did you see much of him? What did you make of the Canberra halfback elect for 2020? Well, I didn't see a lot of him, but I go more on what I've heard about him, and that is hearing experts at the game who've seen a lot of him saying that he is going to be good for Canberra. Make no mistake about it. He will improve the Canberra team. It might take a month, six, eight weeks for him to to settle in a new club, in a new country, in the NRL situation, but uh, Canberra will be better with George Williams in their team, and if they're much better, they'll be celebrating big time in 2020. Because he's been named on the... Well, he's on the extended bench for that game for Great Britain against the Tonga Invitational. Um, skillful player. We've seen a little bit of him out here in the past. I've uh, seen a bit of him on watching the Super League coverage as well. I, you know, unless... Until you throw them in at the deep end, it's hard to know. And backs haven't always... I guess outside backs in particular haven't made the transition for the most part. Mm. For the most part to the NRL. It's been more forwards and you could reel them off forwards over the last 15, 20 years who have made a successful transition from the Super League to the NRL. But fascinating, yeah, uh, and, and as I said during the World Nines uh, the coverage, Ricky Stewart's never actually met George Williams. And maybe, well, Ricky was in, Ricky was in Japan last week, so I, I, didn't, I don't know that Ricky was there last week you know, lurking around. I didn't see him, didn't hear of Ricky being on site at Bankwest Stadium. I think he was over there. Uh, having spent some time with the uh, the England camp ahead of that uh, quarterfinal against Australia. He was hanging out with his old mate Eddie Jones over there. So he probably didn't get the chance. He, he may well do. He might nick over to New Zealand and have a look at uh, George in action if George gets to start in the, in the next couple of weeks um, because he still hasn't met him. 
which is intriguing. Like had a couple of phone conversations, and just and they make you know, uh, recruitment officers and retention committees and coaches make decisions based on videotape a lot, but maybe not so much at that level. Yeah, like, with players who are. You know, development players maybe or getting signed to go and play Canterbury Cup or whatever else. It's a, it's a curious situation that here we are, the Canberra coach has never actually in the flesh met the man who he is pinning his hopes on being their starting halfback in 2020. I think he's got some good uh, spies there in the Canberra lineup that can tell him exactly what George is made of and why he should be signing. Well, Peter Mulholland, uh, you know, who yeah. we both know really well. Um, a long-time Great judge, and, and he, has, he has no doubt that George Williams, and he knows uh, George's father, who's a rugby league lifer, like Peter himself. Um, Peter's got no doubt that he will make a very good number seven for Canberra. Well, we get to see that next season. And, we, and that's a reason to watch these, these tests, isn't it? To see players that are on the rise or inbound or who your club should or shouldn't be targeting because even though the competition, the premiership is over, we are set for a very busy few weeks, you'd imagine, in terms of player movement, in terms of uh, rumours and suggestions of you know club hopping during the end of the season and into next year. I'm intrigued by it. It's the circus after the, the event. Speaking of the circus. Yes, was. Lebanon. Oh. The more things change, the more they stay the same as far as rugby league and uh, international level footy is concerned with Lebanon, who here we are. They were the story of the weekend. They'd beaten France. They'd beaten England. They're going to potentially make the semi-finals and take on Australia. Was it? Or they going to? No, were they going to play New Zealand? They were going to play New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, and then they lose their last to game to Wales. It doesn't matter because, as we discover, they've got a couple of players, and one of them who played in that game against France ineligible because he's only 17 years of age. Funnily enough, I should put my hand up here and say, when I was doing the prep for the games over the weekend, I'm punching out stats on whatever else and things, and I find out, oh, 17 years of age. What's that's, he doing playing? Well, that's unusual because, you know, you've got to be 18, as we mm. well know, to play in the NRL. And I thought, well, have things changed or are things different for the Nines? Have they made a bit of an allowance for Lebanon because they are struggling for players because... Uh, you know, there's all manner of drama. Uh, you know, it was they almost didn't play that mid-season test. Yeah, it was almost a strike. Um, they had players suspended who couldn't play in the nines, the likes of Josh Mansour and others. Well. But but you know, obviously no, there was no no concessions made for Lebanon. They're yeah. just struggling to you know play by the rules. <laughs> Basically, just can't get it right. Can't get it right. When I say suspended, level, suspended by the Lebanese Federation, Josh wasn't suspended by anyone apart from the, the mob he wanted to play for. No, that's right. Uh, yeah, and it go, yeah, the Federation... outline that, yeah. Back in Lebanon is a... Yeah, they're, they're all over the shop, aren't they? So, I, you know, and we'll see what happens in the future with Lebanon as far as rugby league is. But those, credit to those players. It was a team made up of literally SG Ball, Jersey Flag, uh, and uh, Canterbury Cup players, and there they were. That I was gave, the result of the tournament for me. I gave, the, I gave them no chance to beat France or to, to win a game. Yeah. And... They could well have made the semi-final, and that would have they been... Should have. They should have. You well, beat England, but don't beat Wales, and would, not only just lose to Wales, you get crushed by Wales. But it would have been, imagine, super super embarrassing <laughs> if they make their way into the semi-finals only to, disco to discover that they've been playing ineligible players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. Good to see the Robinson brothers 
uh, performing Bruce for them. Travis, they were sensational. <laughs> and there How you go. Were they? Yeah, made up of junior league players and Canterbury Cup players and the Robinson brothers, who are you know aren't playing in the NRL anymore. Uh, Reese played for the Queen Vianne Kangaroos. <laughs> yes. yes. Down there, probably against David Campisi. Yep. And other teams down there in the Canberra comp. Um, and they were tremendous, but it counted for naught in the end. Uh, I just, you know, Lebanon, uh, we, we need as many international teams as we can possibly get. But seriously, and there, and there are World Cup qualifiers coming up. Uh, the Cook Islands will be playing the USA on November 16 at Jacksonville, Florida. On the path to qualifying for the next World Cup of Rugby League. You calling that one was? No, <laughs> Jackson. Oh, November would be all right in Jacksonville. I couldn't. Okay. I, you couldn't go to Florida in in anywhere between April and now. <laughs> now it'd still be pretty warm in Jacksonville, Florida. Yes. I reckon. Yes. What about now? By by next month, it might have calmed down a little bit. Well, it'll be warm in the Gong. It'll be warm in Wollongong on Friday, and that is going to be the centre of the rugby league universe, as it should be. As it should be more often, the mighty gong. Can't wait. I'm fascinated to see how it all pans out over the course of uh, tomorrow night, three games. Fascin- if, you're, if you're a rugby league fan and, and you live in the gong or anywhere down south or even from Sydney, you want to beat the heat, go down Come there. down early. Go down for a swim. Have a swim. Go to All Good Things all Cafe. All Good Things Cafe for a lunch and a coffee and a shake. I've got a contingent coming. I think uh, Vossi might be popping in. I think there might be some referees coming in. Glenn Lama, the Kiwi caller, he's going to pop in and say good day. So Beauty. we might have to park a steed on one of the tables outside and call it All Good Things Rugby League Bar for a day. You need a couple of uh, <laughs> test match items on the menu. Actually, that's a good idea. What could we have? Oh, you'd have, you'd have a fox something. Oh, that's the fox burger? The fox burger. It's, uh, Eat it fast. Goes down quick. <laughs> Comes up fast. <laughs> <laughs> never. Never at all. No, Fox burger. I like that. <laughs> Actually, um, the winger for the winger for the Jillaroos, Shakaya Tungai, it was great to speak with her. Real personality, very much out of the, the Fox mould. And I said, look, we like to call you the shack attack when you score. And do you mind that? She goes, I love it. Oh, well, and I thought that's fantastic to know that a player actually likes the moniker that commentators are given her. She, and she said, I, I don't mind shackers either, as she gave that sort of uh, the, yeah, yeah. the surfing symbol. Yep. So shackers or the shack attack, get on the hill at Wynn Stadium and yell out to the shack attack, get over. The shack attack will be getting plenty of airings during the coverage <laughs> when I'm doing commentary between the Jillaroos and the Kiwi Ferns tomorrow. Live... On Fox League. Matty, good to catch up. Great was. Uh, we'll do it again Friday. at some stage uh, next week. Enjoy the weekend of footy. And uh, until then, you can take me now. I have seen it all.